Hi, everyone. Welcome to Perspectives of Change. I'm your host, Sarika Karbanda. Uh, I'd like to start by introducing our show as usual. Perspectives of Change is dedicated to exploring how to not change forward by understanding and valuing multiple perspectives, because our perspective as a change agent is just one of many perspectives. Uh, with that, I would like to start by introducing our guest before we come to the topic. And our guest today is Evan LeBond, uh, joining in from Melbourne. Melbourne, Australia, land of fantastic coffee and terrible weather. Coffee, indeed. I love the coffee along with the toasted banana cake. I'm never going to forget that. Oh, and thank you for introducing me to that, Evan, there. <laughs> so. This is good. It's lovely to have you on the show, Evan. Thank you for joining us today. As always, I, if Saraka asks, I will always say yes. So I'm excited to be here. It's going to be fun. I think we're going to have a, a pretty lively and, and fun conversation about all things change. Indeed, indeed. So I would like to start by just giving a very short introduction about Evan as the founder of the Business Agility Institute, which I think is a very globally well-known institute now. Uh, but I'm going to let you, Evan, introduce yourself so that I don't do any injustice to your introduction. So go for it. Uh, you and I have known each other for long enough that I don't think there's any <laughs> injustice you could do. Um, so yes, as you mentioned, I am the CEO and the co-founder of the Business Agility Institute. I have been for the last almost four years. We are a global professional association. We have members in 60, 60 plus countries. Our primary focus is what we call inspiration and information. We want to inspire individuals and organizations to be more human, to be more humane. We want I never want to hear the words, oh, that won't work here ever again. And then from an information standpoint, we conduct research. We have 14 research teams. We publish references and guides. And of course, we have a, in through our global community, we're sharing techniques and tactics for how to promote change through the organization to make organizations better. So that's kind of what we are and what we're doing. And yeah, I've, I've had the joy of being there since the very beginning. Indeed, it's been a lovely journey. I've seen bits and pieces of that journey with you, of course. And yeah, our collaboration through that journey too. So it's, it's been splendid indeed. Yeah, well, it's interesting. India is such a vibrant and dynamic place. We, it's, it's one of our strongest communities. We have... Uh, members in multiple states, multiple cities from obviously the obvious ones being Bangalore, but Chennai, Pune, uh, Delhi, NCR, Hyderabad, um, uh, Chandigarh. Um, we have, it's, it's this, there's this hunger for, for, for change and hunger. There's this appetite for organizational improvement. Um, it's, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but one of the things that I've seen is as India is has moved away from a service outsourced economy, um, it's, and 
organizations are trying to stand on their own rather than just literally just being a dev shop for an American or a European company. It's the, this, this drive for internal capability for corporate governance. So it's really been a, it, there are challenges as we all know, <laughs> Sarika, you, you, you and I have made many attempts and definitely some failures along the way, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a hungry country. Definitely. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier, right? While you were introducing the Business Agility Institute, that won't work here. And I think that's a very fundamental, phenomenal statement that I think our uh, topic today stands on. Uh, I like the fact that you already mentioned it. So it's a good segue into what our topic is. And uh, I'd like to introduce the topic to our listeners and viewers of the show uh, after. And what we are talking about today is respect. Resistance to change, the number one challenge. That's how Evan would like to call it. And I'm just going to read a short excerpt of what, you know, Evan would like to share about it. There's nothing earlier in the short term than doing nothing. Nothing more appealing than the status quo. But purpose, innovation, and progress never occur by sitting still. It happens when purpose is aligned to action. And for organizations... Breaking down resistance to change is one of the most important steps towards creating value for your customers, no matter what the future brings. A brilliantly put, I loved the whole, uh, it's, it's really short, concise, and very succinct to the point. Uh, it also links in, and I will add this, to the October theme that we are running with the Lean Change, uh, within the Lean Change Management Association, which is responding to change over resistance to change. And as part of the experiments and practices that we are collecting uh, in the past month already, along with insights and options that we've already captured through many cafes, I think this talk is a brilliant, uh, um, let's say, a topic to bring to the table and then discuss how do you see these as challenges on your business agility journey? Uh, because I remember, Evan, you've shared this uh, report now that's come out from the Business Agility Institute. And the very top challenge that you've been seeing last year is resistance to change. So tell us a little more about what you're seeing and then let's dive into it. Um, as I mentioned in the introduction, we conduct research. Uh, we have multiple research projects. Uh, some of them are academically linked. Some linked to like Sotsby University in Lugano, uh, Georgia Tech, and so forth. The, uh, the business agility report is what we would consider to be our flagship research study. This is a statistical analysis of the state of the industry. We're looking at hundreds of organizations around the world from uh, every region from Africa to the United States and exploring what it means or what these organizations are doing and what it means to be an agile organization. If you're going to ask these questions, the most obvious question to ask, which of course we do, is what are the challenges that you're facing? Mm -hmm. And we've asked these questions every year over the last several years. And one of the most common themes that has emerged is this concept of resistance to change. Now, this has, over the years, risen, and it is currently, for the 2021 report, the top challenge that organizations are facing. Now, 
what's been interesting is that the impact of COVID and COVID-19 and, and the response to COVID-19 has actually managed to overcome some challenges. And there have been challenges in the past on leadership mindsets, on uh, structure and silos. And while the challenges still exist, they've actually dropped down in importance. But what's happening now is that all of those, all the responses to COVID-19 have not actually broken down resistance to change, or at least not in a substantial way. So that still remains high to the point where it is the highest. So when we look at what this means, uh, we're looking at, and actually, you know what, let me give you a couple of quotes. So I actually got the report open in front of me. So mm-hmm. in many areas, change fatigue has caused regression in our progress. Number two, operational groups are resisting the transformation. The leadership of accounting, procurement, and sales divisions don't see why their slow practices should change. Our biggest challenge is being able to change the mentality of people who are used to working without agility and believe that agility doesn't make sense. These are some of the actual quotes from survey respondents. And obviously, they're anonymous. I'm not going to tell you who they were or, or where they were. But this was just a small number of the hundreds of responses that we got that related to the challenges that they faced in propagating and communicating and instilling inculcating change and a better way of working, a better way of being, a better way of of thinking across these organizations. Mm. I definitely agree with you that it's probably the top challenge, right? Your survey already says that out loud. Um, Your research says that out loud. But here's, here's a question that kind of nags me a little because I mean, we, we all come from the agile space already and the version one state of survey report, it's almost always had like resistance to change is one of the top three reasons of why agile fails. So, so I don't know. My question probably is, why is this like, is this like a new thing that you see coming out or is this a continuation of what we've been seeing from the agile point of view in the state of agility surveys that we've been seeing in the past, how do you, how do you view it? So I'm going to answer that question two times. Um, The first, I would actually say that the reason it's become number one is because other challenges are being addressed and resolved. So leadership as a challenge, leadership mindset, leadership competence, and obviously resistance to change is also a leadership behavior, Um, but other leadership challenges, especially through COVID, are being broken down. The need for agility is somewhat obvious when you're dealing with a situation where the market is changing daily. Mm. The idea, like, go back 18 months, go back to March, 2020. Uh, You're sitting there, you've finished your three-year plan. Forget three years. Let's say you finish your 12-month strategic plan for the organization, right? And not a single company on the planet, not a single company has a strategic plan from January, 2020 that was valid in March, 2020. So the need for agility became completely obvious. So all the other challenges were addressed. 
leaving, I believe, resistance to change as the top one. So I don't think it's that it's grown. I don't think it's gotten a bigger challenge. It's as you say, it's always been there, but is now it's it's the it's the the, the final frontier when it comes. So let me give you the second answer, however, and this is, I think, perhaps a slightly different perspective on resistance to change. When you asked me to, to join this podcast and you asked me for a short write-up on what I saw resistance to change, and it's, I said, there's nothing easier than the status quo. And when I look at organizations, there are, there's a, a divide that's occurring between different kinds of organizations. I'm going to call the first kind digital native. And it, it's not about the digital, but it's those organizations that evolved in that era. Right? Mm -hmm. They evolved, they started in a world of agility, and it is natural. And then there are organizations for whom they are... 30, 40, 50 years old, 100 years old in some cases. And these organizations have an inertia of their, of their own. I talk to executives of large banks all the time. They get agility. They want agility. They demand agility. But the organizational inertia, the mm. culture, the behaviors, the patterns that exist inside that organization are like, inhibit agility and it's not because they it's not through a lack of desire the execs want it even half the middle managers want it the organizational systems just aren't geared for it whereas these digital native companies their systems don't have the same inertia they've got other challenges don't get me wrong uh, but they don't have these same challenges and so what we're seeing are the the haves and the have-nots uh, this divide in organizations so when we talk about resistance to change, we're really talking not just at an individual level, not just I'm a middle manager and I don't want agile. That's a part of it, mm -hmm. but it, it's actually the least part of it. What we're really talking about is a systems resistance to change where the desire is insufficient. Right? You want it, but you can't create it because there is inertia, resistance, friction throughout the organizational systems. And that's, I think, the bigger challenge that agile, right, capital A agile transformations struggle to overcome because they, most of them, and that's why we talk about business agility versus agile, most of these transformations aren't operating at a systems level. They're transforming a function a team or a group of teams or a portfolio. They're transforming a process, right? the software development life cycle. Right? They're not operating at an organizational system level, which is yeah. where the resistance is. Now, I like what you said. I'm going to build on your second answer and I'll take it forward from there. So when we, when we look at the known inertia of the organization and their pace of change, you also spoke about change fatigue, right? And I'm just trying to link all of this together. When we know what our pace of change as an organization is, why are we today trying to also probably induce more change, add up to more change fatigue? We're still, we're still doing that. And it's us as individuals who keep adding to that and, hey, we need to change this, we need to do this. And 
we, I think there are quite a few knowns there, right, Evan? Like we agreed, I mean, this is not the first time it's bubbling up, but given what you said in your first response, yes, the other challenges that came up in the past have gotten resolved. Now, at least resistance to change has bubbled up. But if I, as an organization, probably figure out what's my natural pace of change, I'm probably then going to maybe slow down or you know, speed up on the new changes that are coming my way to, in a way, I would say, bypass a lot of change resistance. Why would I not want to do something like that? I'm just curious. What Something so, that you figured out. <laughs> Again, we'll give you two answers. Um, okay. The first, you have a challenge here where change psychologically we crave stability. Uh, it's it's and our brains are actually physically geared this way. Humans are the world's greatest pattern matches, right? yeah. and and if you're on the plains of Africa and you see movement, right, you don't want your brain to logically go, okay, what color? You don't want it to go through these complicated steps to go. Oh, right. what is that? Think, 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 think. Because by the time you actually come to a logical conclusion, right, you're dead. Right? On the other hand, you see a movement, your brain goes pattern match, lion, run. Right? And so we move so quickly. Right? And our ability to pattern match is our superpower as a species. It's also right, our curse. Right? And we see this in... in people right now where there's false pattern matching we see patterns where there are none and in fact our brains are like the fight and flight response stress right stress in the workplace right, is traceable back to those those fight or flight responses the problem is you can't fight or fight fight or flight in the workplace. <laughs> Neither are appropriate responses to a stressful, uh, a, a stressor event. Yeah? And so we seek stability. We seek patterns in chaos. And so just neurologically, right, this is what we want. Mm. Now, this is then when we come to our second answer, and that is, you're not in control of what's around you. Right? You're not in control of the change. There's a concept in economics called information asymmetry. And this is where you're, the person who controls the information controls the price. Very simply, and it's a slight lie, but I'm, I'm just a very simple definition of it. 30 years ago, right, you controlled the information. Right? Your company controlled the information about your products, about what was happening, about the ingredients in your products, how they worked, the price. You could set whatever price you want because no one knew better. Your competitors did. Right? And so obviously you have a in a in a in a uh in a capitalist society, you've always got those tensions between two competitors who do have equivalent information competing against each other on price. Okay? And I'm not going to get into like cartels and all that. there are issues with, with some of that, but just 
that's the basic economic model. The problem is in 2020, 2021, I always forget what year it is. I like, these years have blurred together. It's 2021, right? In 2021, right, the customer has as much information, if not more than you do. And this is one of the first times in history where this has been true. Right? So think about it. If your customer knows more than your salespeople, who controls the price? Right? And this isn't true of every industry, and obviously there are variations and so forth, but this concept of information asymmetry, it has never been more flat right, between customer and, and supplier. So this has greatly changed the dynamics of the marketplace. It means that the marketplace moves so much faster than it did before. So whilst psychologically we crave stability, the environment in which we operate is not stable. It is fundamentally unstable. VUCA, which I'm sure has been spoken about in, other, in, in others of your podcasts, volatile, uncertain, um, complex and ambiguous. And so if we are in this VUCA environment and yet we crave stability, this cognitive dissonance creates this resistance to change. It is a ridiculous resistance to change right? because we know we need to change, but we just don't have the mental energy to actually enact upon it. And that's where things like change fatigue come into play because it's, we just, we changed last year. Why do we have to do it again? because the market moved, right? because the strategy we had last year, which was correct for what was last year, has moved. And we're not even talking about leading the market. We're not even talking about leading change in the marketplace. We're just talking about following change. Right? But even there, following change, unfortunately, isn't even enough for half of these organizations. Because if you can't put something new in the marketplace and you're always following, again, you're probably going to be out of business in 10 years. Right? So these are the kind of challenges that we're always facing. And these are this, this is the tension that happens inside our brains as executives, as leaders in organizations. And that's why we get this resistance to change. Yeah, it's interesting that this response of yours actually triggered at least five to seven questions already for me now. And I'm like, okay, which one first? <laughs> I'm not sure. But it does remind me, of course, of the systems one, systems two thinking, uh, you know, where we should respond to change and not just react to change by triggering the systems two part of the brain and not really the systems one, which is our fight or flight and, you know, super reactive approach, the Daniel Kahneman uh, approach to talking about that. Um, what I, I think rather than me getting into that set of questions, I'm going to dive one more, dive into one more question, given your report, and then we'll probably move to another thing. You do give a recommendation there, in fact, a couple of recommendations, and I did think it would be interesting to see at least one or two recommendations, because you do say keep the focus on the why, and that resistance to, can be overcome by a constant reminder of the why. And I do want to bring in... Uh, so we did, uh, I did put this out uh, on social media and we got two responses, very interesting responses uh, to this. And I want to share that with you and uh, see what you have to hear, uh, say about that. So somebody shares, why is probably the worst possible question I can ask? And it's very interesting how the person says later, 
if I ask you why you are doing what you're doing or why do you believe you claim what you believe, your response is to become defensive automatically because I have just threatened your sense of self, which is a really important point. And another person actually goes ahead to say the why is important, but if there is widespread resistance to that why, ask who is benefiting from the change and why are people resistant? Consider four aspects of motivational theory. Do they value it? Do they believe it'll have impact? Are they confident they can do it and, you know, have choice? So that's, that's another interesting aspect. But I want to focus maybe first on the first one, because my question to you is, after your research, did you also start to link your research aspects into aspects of psychological safety and motivation and ability? I'm just curious to hear about that. And that's why I thought maybe these two points might link something up there. Mm-hmm. So in, the, in terms of the first one, it's not about asking why. It's about explaining why. It's about transparency. So what we found in the research is that organizations who reminded staff about uh, the impact of COVID-19 to their organizations that were transparent with staff, not scaring them. Uh, This isn't about fear. It's not about um, we need to change or we're going to be out of business in three months. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's the case, then okay, it's probably worth saying something about it, but we're not trying to scare them into change. Fear, Fear motivated change is unsustainable and definitely not the most effective. But if you're transparent about the reasons and the rationale, then change, people may still have change fatigue. They may still be tired and exhausted, but you're not going to get the same active resistance. You might just get subconscious passive resistance. And we saw that uh, there's a couple of real examples. Um, one organization, um, a consulting firm, and obviously I'm not going to tell you who, um, had to lay off, uh, no, no, sorry, no, they were afraid they'd have to lay off, right? So this is at the very beginning of COVID-19, right? They saw a rapid reduction in the, in the hours and the days of their consultants, right? And they asked all their consultants to take a, I'm, I think it was a 20% pay cut. I think it was like a, a one day a week kind of pay cut. Um, but the money was going to go into a pool, right? Mm-hmm. Basically a promise to keep people employed, right? So the money would never be, like, it wasn't going to go into the business. It would stay for salary right? and it would stay for people because they didn't want to lay people off. Now, they were very transparent about why they were doing. They were transparent about how much money was going to go into this. Um, and you and some individuals could opt out. This was an optional thing. Now, obviously, it was highly encouraged. Right? But it's like, look, I, I literally can't afford that. I'm hand-to-mouth kind of thing right now. Now, these are consultants. So most people aren't living hand-to-mouth if you're a consultant. Um, now, there was a challenge. I'll talk about the challenge in a moment. Mm-hmm. But by being clear about this, right, most people were understanding of the pay cut they were about to get. 
Now, interestingly, as a side note, um, after about a month, their, their, their engagements actually went up. And that's actually what we saw in the, in, in the early days of COVID. A lot of volatility, but organizational change and transformations for many organizations actually increased, right? Because obviously <laughs> they're trying to, they themselves are trying to uh, adapt to COVID-19 and that's where agility comes into play. So they actually ended up giving all that money back. Right? It's like, we don't need this pool anymore. It's all yours. One of the respondents said, I didn't expect to get that money back. I didn't believe you, right? Hmm. They did it anyway, as in they, they put their 20% in because, because there was transparency about and, so, and it's like there was enough trust to do it. And there was enough, what Mark actually said, there was enough transparency to do it. And when the money got all given back because it wasn't necessary, it was this really surprising that they did it even though they didn't truly trust the organization. And this is a teal consultancy, right? As a like 50 or 60 consultants. So it's not a small organization. We're talking like a decent mid-sized firm. 50 or 60 consultants, teal, transparent, agile, all those wonderful buzzwords. And still there's a lack of trust about is this money really going to be used for this or is it just going to go into keeping the business afloat? No. Now, that's kind of the, that's the reason why making the why clear is so important. Right? Because even when there is a, I want to say a lack of trust, but even where trust is not guaranteed, transparency, openness, creates a motivation in its own right for change and so that's why keeping that focus on why you're changing is so important yeah i would personally completely agree uh, given that i personally believe in the universal of change that cause and purpose over the sense of urgency and urgency really lies in the eye of the beholder really because what's urgent for you is probably not urgent for me and that causes problems and that creates resistance too a lot of times right now cause and purpose is going to be even in the example of this company that you just said that cause and purpose being made transparent being made known to all the people it gets people to take action maybe some passively still resisting but still they took action so it was the reason I would say, yeah, uh, given the trust, given the transparency, given that they were aware of that cause and purpose, they went ahead, took action. And that's probably what today's workforce really is looking for, right? It's, it's, it's one of the things we've seen right now in America and in many other places, you've got this, the great resignation, which I've heard it being called. Oh, yes. Right? Uh -huh. And it's a game of musical chairs. Uh, it, it's It's... There's no new jobs being created, right? People are just going, I'm jack of this, right? I'm, I want something new. So they're jumping to another organization and someone's jumping into the seat that they just, they just left vacant, right? Yeah. So everyone's just shuffling about. Now, that's the biggest reason for this. And the reason people are jumping is because they're looking for purpose. They're looking for um, mission. And that because of just the frustration of COVID, the organization, 
it, it doesn't mean they're finding organizations that are better, but they're finding organizations that they think are better, right? They're finding organizations that are having a good conversation at the moment. And so they're shuffling across and other people are shuffling in and all that kind of, and again, it's just a game of musical chairs, but people aren't moving because they need more money. People aren't moving for a, because they, uh, well, obviously there are some things and organizations who are forcing people to go back to work versus mm -hmm. promoting working from home arrangements. There's definitely some, uh, there are other factors at play, right? But a really big one, yeah, it's that mission alignment and that purpose, purpose-driven employment. And as a side note, this isn't a generational thing. Right? Um, some of the arguments I've seen is this is a millennial thing or this is a Gen Z, whatever comes after millennial thing. Um, they're looking for purpose and whatever else. No, I, I, boomers, it, there is very little in the way of generational um, segmentation. Everyone's moving. True. I mean, without giving our ages away, I would say you and I probably work for a cause and purpose, right? We wouldn't be into something otherwise. Yeah. It's why we started the Institute. It's, it's, we're a mission driven organization. So I, it's, I definitely took a pay cut to do this and I wouldn't change it any day. Totally. <laughs> okay. I know I should be opening up the floor for questions. This has been such an interesting conversation. I still have many questions for Evan, but I'm going to open the floor uh, for questions for Evan before I add more questions. Great discussion, Evan. Thanks for that. But then how do you overcome this resistance to change? That's so the first recommendation is transparency. Right? Keep the focus on why. Keep the focus on the rationale behind it. Right. Other than that, also I know said, the purpose. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say another key or the, another key recommendation that we have is to actually invest in the change. Change should not be something that is done on top of your nine to five or nine to six or eight to seven. Uh, uh, what's the China nine, nine, six, right? So whatever you, it, it's not, it's not additional work, right? Change is the work. And so if you're not investing in teams and individuals and staff to actually change, right? Then uh, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're kind of missing, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to work, basically. I just, it's just not going to work. Uh, I'd also say is to change small. There's a tendency in many organizations when they're doing a transformation is to transform multiple elements at the same time. So in the report, we talk about um, uh, transforming structure and how you work simultaneously. And when you're doing both, it's just too much, too much upheaval. So you really want to be very, very targeted and specific on what changes are happening when, and then enable other changes to flow on from that. You actually want to get to a point where change is a natural state. And one of the things we talk about, uh, I'll take st structural agility as an example. So most organizations to change structure is a restructure. It is a formalized, complex process. But in highly competent, mature 
agile organizations, right? The team you work in tomorrow may not be the team you worked in yesterday, and that's just called Tuesday, right? You can change a structure organically, quickly, without disruption internal to the organization. So, so structural agility is literally an agile and adaptable structure. And so that's kind of where those maturity, it's where maturity comes into play in terms of how you change an organization. Now, you're not going to get to that point overnight, but that's where you want to get to. And if you try and change everything at once, uh, it's going to fail miserably. And so you really want to be as focused as you can. Yeah, change, make change small is one of the ways of looking at it. Um, but whatever way, I think when you go to organizations, that's the main thing we face uh, in terms of transformation, resistance change from leadership, middle management, from the teams. Uh, and I think one thing you can learn from a conversation is about making these changes small so that they can accept the change and later yeah. on build up. So let, let me expand on that slightly. We have a couple of challenges when we're propagating change through an organization. One is competing priorities, right? If you're changing your process, right? If you're adopting an agile way of working, right? But at the same time, there's a demand in the organization to reduce headcount, right? And there, there is a natural efficiency gain to agility um, in, in many organizations. I don't need quite as many staff, right? But the problem is, once you link an agile or a business agility transformation to headcount reduction, then you're in a position of fear because people don't want to lose their job. So they're going to fight against agility, not because they're fighting against agility, but they're fighting against the headcount reduction and specifically their headcount reduction. And so you really, if you want to create stable systemic change, you've got to decouple right, job security from role. Right? So your role might change. What you do, where you do it, how you do it can evolve and change. You need agility there, but you're still going to have a job. If you need to do a headcount reduction, because that, um, as much as I hate it, it's a part of business. Right? If you need to do a headcount reduction, do that. Don't hide it within an agile transformation. Right? Do the agile transformation first, and then six months later, once that's stable and change and you have a culture that's emerging, then sure, okay, maybe bring that in if that's what you need to do, right? but don't bring the two together. Which also brings me to another point, which is change driven by fear. And Sarika mentioned this early on when we were talking about uh, starting with why. If, you're, if you are leading a change from a purpose or a mission or, or a just even just transparency perspective. This is why we're changing, right? Rather than going, right, we need to change or we're going to be out of business. If we're changing through fear, right, then we're triggering a whole bunch of stress responses in our brains. Right? And, we, and that, again, is not conducive to stable systemic change. That's my question. Cool. I think that triggers my pending questions. I think that's a good segue into this and it's a must ask. And I'm going to flip this now. So for me, Evan, across my transformations, you know quite a bit of my experience anyway. 
And in the last year and a half, I've been doing even larger transformations in a different context online. Yeah, it brings a different set of challenges and goals. Um, and it does. And for me, resistance is always a positive. It's never negative. It's nothing for me to overcome because the moment I think of it as something to overcome, I'm defining that resistance is a negative force and it's going to come and I'm going to create a mitigation plan and blah, 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 blah. So for me, I think resistance is a positive. And of course, I want to challenge you on that a bit. That's why this question, right? Um, or maybe not. I think you're just going to align with what I say. I have no idea. But let me just uh, add up one or two more things. When I say resistance is a positive, I'm also saying, let's say this team is resisting change, no matter whether, you know, the mission, vision, everything was clear to them and cause and purpose is clear. Everything is good for them. Uh, it's possible that they are resisting because the timing of my change is incorrect. It's possible that, yeah, I don't know, they're going through a lot of internal personal change and I'm just bringing the change to them at the wrong time. Or maybe the change I'm throwing at them, you mentioned change fatigue. Maybe the change I'm bringing to them or putting at them is being put at them and not with them. So that's the difference, right? Throwing change at people and doing change with people. I think we align on that. So, so my thinking would be, why would I want to overcome something like resistance? I would say it's good feedback for me and putting the agile lens on, I would say, you're resisting, great. Tell me what can we do to change this resistance? And I, I, in fact, this 15 days, uh, because we've been on this whole activity of resistance and response to change. And you know, when I figured we we're gonna have this chat, I figured uh, a TED Talk and Heather from Canada, and she's the author of 99 Ways to Influence Change. I like what she, how she put it. Start by treating resistance not as something to overcome, but something to uncover, which is exactly what we should be doing, which is don't get furious when someone resists. It's more like get curious. That's how Jason Little would say it. So back to you, Evan. How do you see resistance? So I actually have a slightly different perspective. Um, Go for it. All correct. Uh, uh, everything you say is is fair. The problem is, in my experience, and I'm not a consultant anymore, so so I'm not running transformations, but I've definitely run my fair share. And my and in my experience, resistance is rarely um, uh, clearly defined. Right? Resistance is subtle it is and sometimes it's impersonal right the resistance comes not from a person but from a system an organizational yeah. system uh, a process governance sometimes it comes out of this is how we've always done it right and the or that organizational memory which just doesn't go away because you're trying to change how you work so in many ways, resistance is, yes, something to be uncovered, something to be discovered, but it's not a person that's resisting. That's easy. Right? And to be honest, if, if there is a person resisting right, or, a, or a group of people who are resisting and you can identify and you can uncover that, then to be honest, that can, with empathy, with respect, mutual respect 
with a uh, with an open mind to discover and 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 I like how you've described that absolutely but when we're talking about systems level resistance or even subconscious resistance uh, it's not something that can be easily identified because the resistance isn't a thing. The resistance is a pattern, right? It exists in the change. It exists in the organization. It's not something that can be easily partitioned. I don't try to scare you. I'm not trying to say you can't change. Of course you can, right? But if you're dealing with a systems level problem, right, you need a systems level solution. If I, if sure. I can put this in complexity terms, right? A complex problem requires a complex solution. You can't apply a simple solution to a complex problem because you're missing all the nuance. Um, um, on the other hand, a simple problem requires a simple solution. You don't want a complex solution to a simple problem because they, now, now you're over-baking it, right? So what we want to look at is an organization is a complex adaptive system. Resistance at an organizational level is at the same scale, complex, complex adaptive. And so your solution to that resistance to change must also be complex adaptive, must also be nuanced and multi, like multifaceted. It must also address different layers of the organization, people, processes, and tools. Um, and let me... Let me jump to a couple of things because one, one area that I think helps to overcome some of these systems level is changing measures. Mm -hmm. right? If you get the behavior that is measured, I forget who said it, Senghi or Deming or one of those kind of people from the 1980s. Right? If you get the behavior that you measure, um, here's, here's another quote from Deming. Uh, if you if you give someone a measurable target, they will destroy the company to make it mm. right, or to achieve it. Right? So we know the damage that organizational measures can occur. But if you're trying to change an organization or the organizational behaviors, but you're not using those organizational levers, Right? If all you're doing is changing process and saying we expect you to work differently, but you're not changing the levers, key levers of metrics and motivation, right, then, well, it's definitely not going to work. Mm. Now, a lot also comes through sense making and figuring out the organization's pace of change. So, and through that sense making, I think that's where you start understanding which part of that system is really causing the most trouble. And then, yeah, where the bottlenecks lie. So, yeah, I'm totally with you on the systems level of change. Okay, in the interest of time, I'm going to give this a wrap uh, by asking you maybe a very tricky question. Yeah, you asked me at the beginning of the talk, before Srinath arrived, I think, that, yeah, is that a trick question for you? So here's the trick question. Uh, if you had to leave uh, us with two cents about resistance to change or response to change, over resistance to change, because we believe in today's world response is what really matters. Um, what would your two cents include? So I'm going to go back to what I said early on. Right? There's nothing easier than the status quo. 
Okay. There's nothing easier than doing nothing. And sometimes you have to lean into that. Uh, you have to acknowledge that change is hard. Change is unnatural. It goes against what our brain is hardwired to look for and acknowledge. And if you don't acknowledge it at that level, at a very human, a very fundamentally human level, um, then change will. You cannot respond. You will only resist. Yeah. And then I'm going to go from the very human to the very, very top at a system, which is what I ended with, right? which is changes at the, while change is a very human thing, it is also a very systems thing, right? Human dynamic systems, complex adaptive systems, pick your phrasing, right? But it change is not something where you can create a fancy flow chart diagram and say, here's the new operating model and expect mm -hmm. that to be installed. You cannot install change right? because it has so many facets, so many nuanced elements to it. Right? If you even try and document it, by the time you finish documenting, it's already out of date. Sure. Right? So change is both simultaneously very human and completely systems. And if you can understand and accept that dichotomy, right, that paradox, that it, it is both things simultaneously, then I think you're going to have a pretty good chance of responding versus resisting. But if you don't, then you're not. I like the way you said that. So thanks, Evan, for that. Uh, for all our viewers and listeners, um, yeah, I like to probably sum this up also with a quote from Louis Hay, resistance is the first step to change. So uh, like Evan also said, response to change over resistance to change. So look out for that. Uh, thank you, Evan, for being on our show today. And uh, we hope to see you again sometime soon. Always. Pleasure was absolutely mine. Thank you.